You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Good morning, 12th Street. So good to see you guys to worship with you this morning. Thank you, band, for leading us. Man, my heart is, is all in this morning, worshiping the Lord. And the band, you guys really led us in singing our hearts out to the Lord. So thank you for doing that. And I, I'm just so glad to be here this morning as we finish up this series that we've been working through about praying like Jesus, how to pray. And many of us have thought about it at times. Maybe you've been doing it for years and you haven't given much thought lately. But as we've been going through this series, I hope that we've all been reinvigorated and, and redirected to look to find how to pray according to what Jesus said. When he says, pray then like this, he means what he says, and he gives us the best way to actually pray. And so I hope that it's been an encouraging series. I hope it's been a time when we gather together that has moved your heart to, to look at God differently, to see him more rightly. And as today, as we kind of bring it to a close, I want you to recognize that the thing we're going to talk about today, there's not a lot of instructions about how to do this the things that we're instructed to do here. There's not a lot of things in here that command us to do things a certain way or a certain, uh, in a certain amount of time that we do it so many times, but there are clear shown opportunities for us to do it in Scripture, when to do it, and there are, are plenty of times in Scripture where we see this one thing being done a lot. In fact, I would argue that most of us have probably not participated in this uh, instructional thing that we're kind of told to do, or encouraged to, implied that we would do, but most of us probably have, if we have done it, have not done it much. And I think today as we look at scripture, we're going to learn about something that could literally change your life in a capacity that your understanding of who God is, and not just who he is, but your experience of God in your daily lives could be changed in a way after today if you would just enact the practices of Jesus, specifically the practice today we're talking about is fasting. Now, some of you already want to turn me off. I get it. I like food, too. I had bacon last night, even a touch of sausage, pancakes. I like food. And if you look at me, you can tell it. Uh, if you're around me, you'll hear about it. And if you go out with me, we're going to do it. We're going to eat food. You know, that's what we're going to do. And so I, I love food, but I'm telling you right now that if you want to experience God in the way in which we've been talking about, you can experience Him, then you need to embark on one of the practices that was modeled by Jesus that He assumes we will live in, that we will be a, taking part in, and we need to do that so that we will know Him rightly, worship Him rightly, enjoy Him to the fullest, and also understand what He's doing so we can work with Him. You know, that's exactly what Jesus said he did. He indicated all throughout Scripture by his actions, but even by his words, he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And that's because he was uniquely as God's son, but also as a man showing us that we as men and women can do the same in the sense of being attuned to the Holy Spirit and to God's direction in us, his work around us, so that we might join him in that work. You guys, a lot of you have heard about Blackaby, Henry Blackaby and Richard Blackaby, and they did a series uh, of teaching that many, many folks in the Baptist world, at least, have gone through about experiencing God. And one of those things is seeing where God's working and joining Him in the work. I would, I would posit to you that it is almost impossible, it's almost impossible for us to truly pray, to see what God is doing, to seek His will, to seek where He is working Truly impossible, I believe, to do that in the most real, full, and deepest way we can in an ongoing way if fasting is not a practice in our lives. And that's a huge statement to make. 
But here's the problem. I think too many of us have lived in the church world long enough. We have experienced life as a Christian long enough that we've kind of got it figured out. And what it ends up being is the sum total for us is go to church, be a part of a Sunday school class or small group, pray, read the Bible for 10, 15 minutes in the morning, try to talk to people who are going to hell about Jesus, and that's the sum of our lives. Serving in a spot if you're really a super Christian, you know, teaching a class or helping with the kids. But I would argue that many of us are anemic Christians because we are not practicing the ways of Jesus. We are not doing the things Jesus did to commune with his Father, and yet we expect that we are mature Christians even though we don't live in these practices. And this one, while it is, I think, one of the most difficult to do, at least for me, I do think that it is one of the most satisfying that we could possibly endeavor to practice. And so I want to look at this today out of Matthew chapter 6. Turn there, Matthew chapter 6. We're not going to see a whole lot of instructions about or commands to do this thing. We're not going to see a whole lot of instructions about how to do it well, but we are going to hear a little bit here in this spot about how not to do it. And as you're getting there, let me just put some things in your brain. Think about the language that we use to describe the food that we eat. How many of you here are foodies? Anybody a foodie in here? Come on, raise your hands high. Let me see them. Okay, I bet there's more than we think. You may think you don't know how to describe it well enough to be a good foodie, but we use language to describe food that is some of the most colorful language in our vocabulary. We use language to describe food that actually describes satisfaction in ways that not much else is used to describe it. None of the words we only use for food sometimes are the words that are most descriptive for satisfaction. Think about the most satisfying meal you've ever eaten. I know I'm really risking a lot in the morning early. It could lose you right here. Think of the most satisfying meal that you've eaten. I can tell you that the most satisfying meal that I've eaten in this town is I've eaten out since I've been back. Uh, it was down on Broad Street, and it was a steak, and it was the best steak that I've had in this town. And I can tell you what it tasted like right now. I can describe to you how juicy it was, how it had just the right amount of pink slash red in the middle for me. I can tell you about the potatoes that came with it. I don't know about the green that was there. I didn't pay attention to that. But I can tell you all about the pieces of that, how it was cooked, how it was charred on the outside, how it was seasoned just right, had kind of a grit on top because of the seasonings. I mean, I can tell you all the things about that meal. And I think, though, that the way that we describe our meals, the way that we experience food, these are the ways we're intended to experience God on a daily basis. And that sounds crazy, but Jesus used that kind of language as well. In fact, I would say that food was given to us so that we might understand that we continually need sustenance to keep us alive. We know that, right? That's why we don't miss a meal usually. And God loves us so much that he made food not only able to sustain us daily, but he also made it to bring us great satisfaction, even joy. But food, as we would all agree, at least right now verbally or in our heads, is not the end-all be-all, right? We know that. We sometimes make much of it like it is. But God has intended every gift that he's ever given us and will ever give us to point us to our greater needs and our greater satisfaction that can only be found in him. That's what fasting will help us to understand. That's what fasting will actually help us to seek and experience. It's the true satisfaction in the Lord. 
Because he is our true sustenance. He is the only one who can bring true and eternal satisfaction. Not just satisfaction that goes away by the time you get home. It always amazes me that we can go out to a place like, um, well, some people might argue some of the best pancakes, but my wife made some that tasted just like it last night at Cracker Barrel. Okay, you go out there and eat. I can go with my kids to eat Cracker Barrel and they eat these pancakes that are so delicious and good bacon. And by the time we get home, they're running in the kitchen for something else to eat, right? It's not true satisfaction. Only the Lord brings that kind of satisfaction. And God is the only source of that deep and abiding joy that we sometimes kind of taste a little bit of in the things that we get to eat. So the question I have for us today is, do we really understand what it means to hunger for God in those ways? Do we truly understand what it means to taste and see how good He is, even now, not just in eternity, future, but even now? Do we truly understand that? Don't we want that? We might say we do, but do we really want that? John Piper posits a really good thought in his book about fasting. He says, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, if we don't feel strong desires for God, it is not because we have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. And our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. He goes on later on and says this statement that really struck me. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. The things that are good, the things that are not bad, that can draw our hearts away from him just enough to not enjoy the presence we're intended for. His presence in us, even now. Fasting is meant to tell us and show us that our belly is not our God. That our stomach is meant to serve us and our God. And I hope to take some time today to walk through this, to help us to see why we should endeavor in this practice. Look in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So he talks about sin right after prayer, reiterating what he had just said above it in the whole prayer. We'll read the whole thing in a minute. He talks about this sin, about forgiving others as we've been forgiven, reminding us of the depth of that. And we're like, wow, he spends a lot of extra time by going to that. He mentioned it in a, in a phrase above, a couple of phrases, and now he kind of breaks it up even more. But notice that the larger amount of breaking up what he said or further endeavoring to explain what he said in the prayer above actually happens in the next few verses. Look at verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is like the ending to the whole talk about prayer. Because he starts it off up above when he talks about praying in secret in verses 5 through 8. And then he ends it with fasting in secret. So we know that's kind of sandwiching the meat of this whole prayer. And so as he comes to the end, he makes sure to take the time to say, when you fast, do it like this. He gives instructions assuming that we are going to fast. Now, I wonder, I often wonder why he puts so much emphasis on fasting right there. He doesn't say do it every Monday. He doesn't say do it 
once a month. He doesn't give us instructions like that. He just says, when you do it, do it this way or don't do it this way. Like, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. Don't let your hunger be seen on your face, right? Your mourning for food being seen on your face. But they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others so that they may be seen as, what, godly, religious people. He says, don't do that. But truly I say to you, they receive the reward. But when you fast, verse 17, when you fast, again, verse 16 says, when you fast, verse 17, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. In other words, brush your hair, take a shower, wash your face, brush your teeth, especially because sometimes when you fast for a long time, your breath starts stinking for the first few days. So brush your teeth a lot, please. Help us out. He says, do that, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Look, let me say it like this. Fasting, listen, this is a good definition for us. Fasting is the practice of proclaiming to God and to ourselves that He is our ultimate source of sustenance. See, we can say that all day long, but actually taking action in that, we always said actions are worth a thousand words, right? Like pictures. It is confirmation to our souls that we are utterly dependent on God when we fast. It lines right up with everything Jesus talks about. In fact, to his disciples, he says crazy things like this in Mark 8. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And we always think about deny himself of sinful things, right? But it also means of things that aren't sinful, but things that we need to deny ourselves in order to be on the mission. Some things for a season, some things for forever. When he says deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, I cannot imagine anything but that he's including in this when you fast and deny yourself of food at times and seasons when you need to do that. That's how you come and follow me. That's how you practice my presence. Fasting is the one way that we actually experience full and total satisfaction in God in this place, I believe. That's a strong statement again. Let me explain why. Fasting is going without physical food so that we can be fully present with the God who is already fully present with us if you're a follower of Jesus. So what you're doing is saying, I don't want any distractions. I want to be completely focused on you, God. I want to be completely led by you, God. I want to be completely in line with what you want. I don't want anything distracting me. All the things that pull at me, all the things that draw my hunger, draw me into thoughts about what I want now, what I need now, I want those things to be out of me and gone for a season, for a while, for a moment, so that I might recognize your presence and dwell in your midst. Like David said, I just want to seek the Lord in his house and be with him. That's what we do when we fast. Going without food to be on the mission. It's another thing Jesus did. In fact, you know the story, Jesus with the woman at the well in John 4? Remember that? He's talking to her for a long time, trying to point her, her to her need for a Savior, who he is, right? And she goes off to tell her friends, and when he's there, the disciples come back. They've gone in to get food, to bring out food to him. And when he's there, the disciples, they come up and they say, Rabbi, eat. And he says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? 
Did we miss something? We just went in to get food, right? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, right? We, when he's tempted in the wilderness after he's fasted for 40 days and 40 nights with no food, and he says he was hungry, the enemy comes against him and tries to get him to turn stones into bread, and he says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the Father's mouth. Our ultimate sustenance is intended always to be God himself. He is our sustainer. That's where the word sustenance comes from. Food is to point us to our need for the ultimate sustainer, right? Jesus demonstrated this over and over again. So let me clarify really quick what fasting is not, just so we're clear. Sometimes we do things religiously and we expect God to do things for us in return, right? That's kind of like if I go to my neighbor and I pull his trash can in, I kind of hope that when I don't do it, he pulls my trash can in, right? Or, Or when I go do something for a friend, I will say like, no, no, you don't owe me anything. But a lot of times in my heart, I'm like, one day I'm going to pull that card out again, you know? I won't even think about it then, but when there's a need or when, I, when there's something they're doing and I need to have a little bit of something back, I'm going to think about it and I'm going to call it out. And you may think, well, I would never do that. We do it all the time in the home, right? Have you ever got mad because your spouse didn't do something you thought they were going to do for you? Yeah, you expected them to do a thing? Maybe you haven't. Maybe your spouse got mad at you, though, Right? Here's the thing. I think we don't recognize this, but we do that all the time. And fasting can line up with that if we're not careful. Let me tell you what fasting is not. It is not a means to direct and immediate results from God. Just because you fast does not mean God's going to do anything for you other than what he's already been doing. It does not mean that that you will feel his presence in the same way every time you fast. It doesn't mean you're going to have some kind of supernatural high just because you fasted to seek the Lord and to spend time in his presence. It doesn't mean you're going to get immediate results to your prayers. It also does not mean that you can force God's hand to do anything. We all know that, but we, we, want, we get caught up in it. Just because you do something for him doesn't mean he owes you one now. It's not a way to force God's hand. But fasting is always, it's always a matter of grace. It's always a matter of grace. You have to understand that we really, in our hearts, our hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are wicked. Inside, we are sinful. We are rebels. We do not deserve even this very very moment of breath that's coming into our lungs as we breathe. And yet God loves us so much that he gives us even that and more. He gives us a Savior to bring us into eternity with him as his sons and daughters. And so when we fast, we need to understand that that fasting is always a matter of grace. No matter how long or how often we fast, We never deserve the result of our fasting. We never deserve the result of our fasting. It's always a matter of grace that we receive any outcome during or after a fast. Anytime God works in us, shows us where he's working, draws us into his presence in a real cognitive, experiential way, it is grace. So then some of you here are like, well, why in the world do we need to fast? Right? Come on. Honestly, but why should I do this thing then? Well, I'm going to give you a whole bunch of reasons, so get ready. Don't think you're going to write them all down. Email us. Email our office, me. Text me. I'll send you, send you the notes. Just listen and let it pour over you. And if you, if you got in early enough, you got one of these um, prayer guides that we're going to have. We're beginning our week of prayer and fasting this week, tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow. We're going to talk about what that means in just a moment. But we're going to look at these things 
And this is going to be a reminder in here. The first couple pages is a reminder about all these things I'm about to tell you. So let's just take a second and let us pour over you. So why should we fast? Number one, we should fast because Jesus expects us to. We should fast because Jesus expects us to. He says in verse 16 and 17, and when you fast, and when you fast, that's an expectation, and implicitly saying you will fast if you're my follower. Or Matthew 9, 14 and 15, then the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then you turn over to Acts, and you immediately start seeing over and over again where they were, they were in the room fasting and praying in the upper room. Or they're in a place, and they're fasting over who to pick for a certain thing. We see fasting in so That fasting is for all time after Jesus is gone, after the resurrection, until he comes back, there will be fasting. It's just implied. Jesus expects it. And he expects that because he expects that we would want to taste and see that the Lord is good in a real way. Do we want that? Do we really, really, are we willing to do what it takes to want it? We live in an age of easy believism where all we have to do is go somewhere for an hour and a half or two and a half hours on Sunday and spend a couple of minutes in the morning and we've checked, checked all our boxes. And if we get an opportunity to say something good about Jesus in front of somebody else or serve somebody and say we did it because of Jesus, and those are really good things, but we live in a world where that's it. Okay, God, give me everything. We forget what we've learned in this culture, and I know we know it down here, that it takes practice to really, really get into the midst of what we were created to do. You know that because you send your kids off to practice baseball, softball, soccer, and they do hours of it, right? And you encourage them to do that, to work hard at things, and you've practiced and practiced and practiced at what you do to get really good, maybe for a paycheck, Maybe, maybe just for the honor of doing it well, maybe so that you could enjoy what you do. But I'm talking to you about practicing something in a way that will help you to experience the God who can satisfy you more than any of those things can satisfy you. But we have to practice this thing. So what kind of fasting are we talking about? I'm going to give you a whole bunch of types. So key into the one that pushes you. Look, this week of prayer and fasting, I, I don't want you, if you've been a faster, if you've been fasting before, you've got a regimen of that or you've done it a few times, I don't want you to do what you've always done. I want to push you to take another step forward. If you've done a little bit of fasting, I want you to do a little bit more fasting this time. If you've done it a couple of times, I want you to try several days of it. Okay, I want you to take it one more step from wherever you've been. If you've never done it, I'm going to give you some easy steps. All right, y'all ready for some? Only a couple of you. That's okay. We'll fast together. Everybody else will jump in next time. Here we go. Types of fast. One, a normal fast, what I would call a normal fast, involves abstaining from all food but not from water. This is what we see with Jesus in Matthew 4. It says, and after, 40, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It doesn't say anything in there about him being thirsty. He could have done that supernaturally, but most of us understand that the rules of three was survival, Right? You can't last but probably about three minutes without air, about three days without water, right? And, and that's true. So we know that as a man, he probably did not go without water unless he was supernaturally done that way, but there's no mention of it at all. There is in other places in Scripture, but not here. So a normal fast is probably just doing with any, uh, any food, but you still drink water. In fact, I would say you need to drink a, a good amount of water regularly. They tell you when you do this in a healthy way that you need to drink enough of that water to sustain all the things you need to get your toxins out of your body. It's just a natural thing that happens. You drink a lot of water, but you don't take any food in. 
And then there's a thing called a partial fast. Okay, a partial fast. That's where you limit your diet. Okay, so it's not an abstention from all food, but maybe for a certain amount of days you only eat a certain thing or type of thing. Like you may only have bread and water. You may only have vegetables when usually you're a meat eater. Or maybe you're a vegetarian and you only need to eat some meat instead or something. Some kind of crazy thing. I know. Nuts. This is the kind that Daniel did. He fasted regularly in a normal fast, but he also says in Daniel 1.12, he said, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and not to have all the king's glorious food. Right? Or in Matthew 3.4, John, remember him? He wore a camel, John the Baptist wore a camel's hair garment and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was, remember what it was? Locusts and wild honey. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying that's an example. <laughs> Partial fast might also be that you go without a meal. So maybe you go without lunch for several days or just one day, do it for 24 hours. You go without one meal. The key is you don't eat a whole bunch on the other meals to make up for it. Just regular amounts. Or how about this? This is the crazy one, an absolute fast. That's where you don't drink or eat anything. Now, I would encourage you to not do that more than for, for like three days max. In fact, I've done these several times, especially as I've been seeking the Lord for direction before I came here to determine if the Lord was calling our family here. I fasted uh, for, for a day. Every day that I was interviewing with the committee on Mondays, I would fast until after we were done with our interview. And then I'd break the fast as I shared with my wife how the interview time went on the phone. And then before we came, I took time and fasted, an absolute fast, for, a, for more than a couple of days. And it just, you can't do more than a couple of days, three days, because it's just not healthy, and we don't sit anywhere in Scripture. In fact, Ezra 10, 6. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went into the chamber at this, in uh, Jehonanan, that's a hard word, Jehonanan, the son of Eliashab, where he spent the night, and neither eating bread nor drinking water. For he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. Or in Esther, remember Esther? Esther tells Mordecai, she says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. And then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And it's an absolute fast. Or in Acts 9, 9, we see this with Paul. As soon as Paul became a believer on the road, it, supernaturally, God grabbed a hold of him, changed his life, blinded him. It says, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Okay? A complete, absolute fast. And we do see examples of a supernatural fast. I do not encourage you to do this unless you have men and women around you who are praying for you as you seek the Lord and they tell you to, that, that they hear from the Lord the same thing you're hearing, that you should embark on this, this supernatural type of fast. Uh, don't don't ever do it alone. We have examples of folks that were monks that lived alone, hermits that tried these things and died because they didn't have anybody else to speak into their life and they went crazy. Okay, so don't do that. That's why living in isolation is not good. Get in the Sunday school class today. <laughs> I'm serious. But there are examples of supernatural fasts where someone went 40 days and nights with no water or food. Moses is an example. He says, when I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. That's one moment, right, that we see in the Bible. Maybe Elisha did the same thing. He may have had something to drink, but it says the food that he ate sustained him for 40 days in another part of Scripture in 1 Kings. We also see examples of a private fast. That's what we're talking about here in Matthew chapter 6, that you don't tell people about it. Only the people that know about it are the people that have to know. You kinda, it's kind of hard to hide that from your spouse, right? 
do you not like my food that I made for you? No, honey, I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm just not, not going to eat right now. It's okay. Now, you got to tell her. You got to tell him, right? Do you tell the people that need to know? And then there's congregational and national fasts. Man, what would it look like for our country if we had a national fast seeking the Lord and his will? We see it throughout Scripture. I'll give you a couple of them. Joel 2.15, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, or Second Chronicles. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Or Nehemiah 9.1, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. Or in Jonah, remember Jonah? The reluctant prophet, don't let us be like him, right? Jonah 3, 4 through 9, he goes to Nineveh, that wicked city, Nineveh. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I mean, this is a, this is a country seeking the, the reprieve of God's wrath, by calling out to him, saying, we're going to go without food. In fact, it's pretty crazy the amount they went to. Listen to this, verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And that's exactly what happens. It's exactly what happens. Now, I bet you the cow's eyes got real big when they heard that decree. Like They didn't willfully do it, but everybody else did. And God relented. He didn't bring his his, his justice and wrath down on Nineveh because they congregationally, they, the whole country, the nation, prayed for God to bring reprieve, to bring salvation. One more, a leadership fast, even seeking for leadership. We see in Acts 13, 2 and Acts 14, 23, this is they were seeking for clarity and discernment about who should be their leaders. Man, that'd be crazy, right? What if we fasted before we chose our leaders? Seek the Lord. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Or Acts 14, 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That's some serious leadership right there. Listen, fasting is first and foremost the practice of actually practicing what we say we believe. It's actually living out the truth that what we need and want above all else is God himself. We're giving you this booklet because in here you're going to read some of these same things again. Choose whatever kind of fast you can do. Please don't just fast from Facebook. You need to do that too probably. But fasting in the Bible doesn't mention anything electronic and not just because they didn't know about it, but they talk about food. It's about food. Now, you may not be able to do some fast because you're diabetic or because you have other uh, health issues. If you're con concerned about that and want to know about that, call your doctor. Don't just Google something. Call your doctor, talk to them, and find out. You may not be able to go without food, but you can maybe go without certain foods. Okay? You don't have to go with meat. You can eat beans. You, know? you can get some protein and stuff for a season. You find a way to do something. Talk to your doctor. I'm not saying that's what you should do. Talk to your doctor and find out what's healthy. Sorry, doctors, if you get a lot of phone calls this week. 
find a way to give up something of sustenance to say, Lord, I want you. We've given you some prayer guides. In fact, let me just tell you them real quick. If you've got this with you, you can look. I'm just going to hit them real fast. On Monday, we've asked you to pray over your personal sin and repentance. It's a great way to begin a fast. On Tuesday, we're asking you to pray for discernment. What does God want for you personally and for your faith family? On Wednesday, the devotional is about praying for your family and your faith family in particular. On Thursday, it's about praying for those who are not yet followers of Jesus. I don't like calling them lost, even though the Bible does, just because people get offended when you say they're lost. They don't think they are. And maybe they will be believers soon. On Friday, praying for our schools. I can't wait to tell you next week when we break our fast together and we celebrate the Lord and what he's doing in our hearts about something we as the leaders here believe are so, we're so excited about what God has laid on our hearts to do in our community, especially for our schools. So let's get ready for that and pray for our schools. And then on Saturday, pray for the women, children, and even the, the guys that are involved and need to be involved at the pregnancy center. It's an often overlooked ministry in this community that our church contributes to. In fact, we're going to undertake some ministry giving for that soon. Man, what would it look like if we fasted and sought the Lord? Even if you can't fast, you can pray. Give up something that's close to you so you remember it every time. When you fast and you're hungry, why don't you pray? When you're fasting and you're hurting in your stomach, I've got to have something, by the way, that you're not going to starve. Even if you fasted for seven days in a normal fast, you're not going to starve. But your body's going to tell you you are, even if you go without a meal, because you've conditioned it for however many years you are old that you've got to eat three times a day and you've got to have all this stuff. It is safe for most people to do some level of type of fasting, even if it's without a certain thing. And if we really want God, what will it look like? Listen, you can do it and not want God. You can do it to be healthy. You can do it for all these reasons. But look at this in Zechariah 7. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? That's the question of the Lord. Is it going to be for him that we fasted above all things that it's for him? John Wesley said this, First, let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eyes singly fixed on him. Let our intention herein be this and this alone, to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Foster adds, that is the only way we'll be saved from loving the blessing more than the blesser. Psalm 135 says that I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. Will that be us this week? I pray it is. Every one of our hungers in this life is meant to point us to an ultimate hunger in our souls for God. Fasting reminds us of this truth and helps us focus our hearts on worshiping only the true God. In other words, fasting is a path to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Psalm 107 says, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Are we really hungry for him? Can we really pray these words like in Psalm 42? As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? Come, brothers. Let us thirst for the Lord. Let us taste and see that the Lord is good. Let us recognize our need. Let us find our, our satisfaction in Him and not in our food, not in other things. Do we hunger like that? 
Listen, every, we believe so much in this that every day that the office is open with staff here, more than, than our, well, I say more than Karen, she's like the total support staff. She supports this whole place, right? On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, for sure, we're going to have the doors open from 11 to 1. You can come in this room and you can pray with us. And we are going to seek the Lord together. If you can't get here, stop wherever you are. And when you're not eating, when you're, fast, when you're fasting, take that time and pray to the Lord. Seek the Lord. What would it look like if we, if we prayed and fasted together, even if it was by heart and spirit and not in location? How would it change our church? A couple other things it does for us really quickly. Fasting in part is also a means by which we reorder our body and desires to serve our Savior. Let me say it again. Fasting teaches us self-control and restraint so that we are only controlled by the Father and not by the desires we have in our heart. Richard Foster he wrote a great book on some of the disciplines of, of faith. He says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. He says, this is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Christ. We usually cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. Listen, anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they're within us, they're going to come out when we fast. Here's how it might come out. It's how it comes out in me. I don't know about you. You go without a meal, I get angry. That's not because I'm hungry, it's because I'm angry. That, that's one of my primal emotional like, sins that I dwell in, if I'm not careful. The anger's already there. The, the hunger just brings it out in me, right? So it, maybe it's loneliness. Maybe it's, it's not believing some truth about how God is enough for you. Maybe it's fear in you. At first, we're going to rationalize that anger or whatever it is away due to our hunger. And then we realize that we are angry because that anger is just deep down within us. Fasting can bring us joy in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. We do not have to suffer in that way in those things and rely on those sins. We can cast them before the Father, give them over to Him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I'm pretty dominated by food. How about you? Or do you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, he says. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I tell you, church, I'm going to repent today of not... Allowing myself, allowing myself to be controlled by other things beside the Lord. I'm repenting of my being controlled by my appetites. And I hope you'll join in me by us casting that before the Father and say, we don't need that, we need you. I don't even want that as much as I want you. And I'm going to show you today, tomorrow, starting tomorrow morning for the next week, I'm going to show you we want you more than anything else, Lord. Bless us with your presence. Bless us with shaping us into the image of your son, Jesus, that we might be like him, that we might see joy in that way, and that we might make much of you everywhere we go. See, fasting is one of the ways that shows us our sins so that we can be holy as he is holy. Oh, church, let us fast together and see that we are made into the image of Christ, how we would be shaped and changed, how we can be an agent of change if we are changed first. Let us say, Lord, I'm serious about knowing you, about walking in your presence, about enjoying you. Let us taste and see that he is good. 
I'm not even going to get into what I was going to talk about with suffering, man, about how fasting shows us how to suffer well. Because it can be like a suffering thing. But I will say this. Andrew Murray makes a statement in his book with Christ in the School of Prayer. He says, prayer is the reaching out after God and the unseen. It's reaching out after God and the unseen. Fasting is the letting go of all that is of the seen and temporary. Fasting helps to express, to deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, to sacrifice ourselves even, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. Let me just say this as we close down. This is the biggest part to me. We often hear words that Jesus speaks or has spoken in the, in the word of God, and we hear that and we discount it because it sounds crazy or we don't know what to do about it. But when we truly experience fasting and all its intended purpose, we will finally begin to understand that fasting is not actually going without, but fasting is feasting on Jesus. Fasting is foregoing the physical so that we might feast on the Savior. Listen to Jesus' words as I close. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He goes on in John 6, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Talking about the manna that came down to those in the, in the desert that left in the Exodus. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Strong language. The Jews disrupted among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, that's the question. So he says to us now, truly, truly, I say to you, that means listen up. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Hear that? Abides in me, and I abide in him, dwell in him, in his presence, as he is presently with us. As the living Father sent me, he says, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That bread in the past in the Old Testament has to point to the greater bread, the true bread, Jesus, who came out of heaven for us, who sustains us forever, he says. Oh, Lord, let us taste and see. Let us experience that this week. Will we not give up anything to experience that kind of satisfaction, that kind of joy in him? And Jesus says, lastly, in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And you wonder why it's not enough, why you feel like our Christian life is just a little bit less than what you anticipated it would be. Or when you read things in Scripture, like, man, that was crazy. I wish I could feel that. I wish I could experience that. I wish I could be a part of those things. Man, he says here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What we see in Scripture is that Jesus, when you follow him, when you've been saved by him, when you've been born again, he is, he is our righteousness. And so you read it like that, you see that Jesus is our righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for Jesus above all things, for you shall be satisfied, church. You shall find satisfaction in a real 
ongoing way. Let us this week seek the Lord. Let us give up whatever we must to have more of Him. Let us say, Lord, we want You more than we want the sustenance that we live on every day. I'm going to give up this one thing this week. I'm going to give up this one meal every day. I'm going to give up all food for the week. I'm like, Lord, whatever I need to do to have more of You is what I want because You alone can satisfy. Church, let that be our prayer this week. Let that be our prayer this week. Lord, we come before you, Father. We want your will above all so that your name is lifted high above all. We want your will to be done in this place, in our church, in us as it is in heaven, to be done immediately when you say go. Immediately we do this thing. Lord, so that you now can know that about us. We seek you above all things and we give up so that we might have more of you. So we not be controlled by these things but that we might submit to you and surrender to you, Lord, because we want to know what you're doing. We want to know how we can participate with you. We want to know how we can be changed to know you and love you and experience you and walk with you and serve you and serve your kingdom. Lord, we want to see your kingdom come in this place. So give us what we need as we give up. Give us what we need, more of you. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us for our eyes have wandered away from you and our satisfactions have been found in things lesser than you. So lead us not into those temptations, but deliver us from the things that draw our hearts away from you. Deliver us from evil, Lord. And help us to forgive. And Lord, this week, help us to fast and pray and seek your face. For you alone can satisfy. Please, Lord, let us taste and see how good you are. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.